And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. First week of May. Well, Charlie, the NCAA came out this past week, the Division I Council. One of the things we want to talk about is kind of tabling the issue of that one-time transfer. Talk about that a little bit later in the show. This first segment brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Well, Henry Hamill and a great group of agents across the state of Mississippi. You just can't say enough about those guys at Farm Bureau. You go to church with those guys. You pick your kids up in school. Actually, when we had school, they were a part of the town. That's the great thing about Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Charlie, looking back uh, last week, we talked to Steve Smith, who was a pitching coach at Mississippi State. And here's the thing that's great about what we're doing. You know, when we started this show, what was one of the things we wanted to do? We wanted to highlight guys who had been a part of this program, and some of these guys may have been forgotten. And we talked about Steve Smith, who was a pitching coach in the early 1990s. And it's almost like seven degrees to Kevin Bacon about how one person's interview leads down a rabbit hole. And one of the guys that I had not thought about in a long time was Carlton Lower, a guy who was a first-round draft pick in 1994. You know, State had a run in 92, 93, 94, where we had three consecutive years of first-round guys. You had B.J. Wallace in 92, Jay Powell in 93, and then Carlton Lower in 1994. And so we're going to have Carlton Lower on later in the show. And looking back at the history that early 90s time frame, because we didn't go to the College World Series, we went to the World Series in 90, but 91, 92, 93, that's almost kind of like a forgotten time in Bulldog history. It absolutely is. And by the way, I think it's six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's not seven? No, it's just six. You don't need that extra degree. But in any event, 92, 93, 94, you go back and you look at the pitching staffs that Mississippi State had then. You talk about just in one year. Think about this. If you had a recruiting class today that had Kyle Kennedy, Gary Roth, and Carlton Lower coming in, you'd be <laughs> awfully happy with your signing class, and that's what you had. And you had a couple of teams there that were, you know, one or two wins away from being those teams that we talk about all the time, but because they just couldn't get over that hump and the regionals aren't remembered as much. But there was a lot of talent. There were a lot of really good players, and there were some good baseball teams then. The thing I look back at 1992, that was kind of the year where everything was in place offensively. Rex Buckner had such a great year offensively at the plate in SEC play, but everything was kind of lined up from a pitching standpoint. When you mentioned the Kyle Kennedy and and Carlton Lower and Gary Roth and you know Chuck Daniel was a part of that team on the pitching staff. But Charlie, here's what's crazy. I was going back and looking at it. John Harden was a part of that staff. When we played in the NCAA regional here in Startville. We lost to Oklahoma. We won our first two games. We were beaten by Oklahoma and then beaten by UCLA in the elimination game. So we played four games. And over those four games, we used five pitchers. Chuck Daniel, B.J. Wallace, John Harden, Kyle Kennedy, Carlton Lower. Can you imagine? Just think about how the world has changed in college baseball when you play a four-game tournament and you only use five pitchers. My, how college baseball has changed. You barely play one game without using five pitchers now. The way you look at matchups and things like that, you go back to, you look at B.J. Wallace, who threw 
over 14 innings. He had that big game. 92 was the year that we had that opening game against Nichols State, that one to nothing win, and then turns around, and he's not done. He's, <laughs> he's still throwing. You look at that, five guys, four games, that's phenomenal. And then Carlton Lower drafted in the first round. The thing I remember by Carlton Lower is he had just an unbelievable major league debut. Oh, boy, got the 4-2 complete game win against the Chicago Cubs. And think about that, taking the mound for the Phillies and not only getting a win but going the distance, that's a pretty phenomenal way to start your career. I think he struck out eight or nine, didn't walk anybody in that game. Just a phenomenal start to his career. So it was funny. We talked to Steve Smith last week, the pitching coach, and he brought up Carlton Lower and talking about all those guys. And so I started looking up Carlton this past week. The guy's a fishing guide and a hunting guide more of an outfitter in Jackson, Wyoming. You talk about the guy who figured out the perfect retirement gig. He hunts elk for a living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah, he uh, he won in more ways than one than this exchange. He becomes a first-round draft pick, pitches in the major leagues, and now he sells houses and fishes and hunts. Another guy that was very big in Mississippi State history was Jim Case. He was here for four years as the pitching coach for Pat McMahon in 1998 to 2001. He was here as a GA, 83 to 86. One of the good guys in collegiate coaching. He's been at Jacksonville State since 2002. He left here when Pat went to Florida. Jim Case went to Jacksonville State to be the head coach, and he's been there ever since. He's been a great coach in the OVC. Jim Case, I can't wait to talk to him because let me tell you something. The thing I think about Jim Case, he coached third base, he was a pitching coach, but just an all-around great human being. Well, it's a real testament to him as well down at Jacksonville State. He's been to the NCAA Regional five times. They've named the stadium for him, and he's still coaching there. That's an honor that typically takes place once you're gone, and Jim Case thought of that highly in college baseball. And he had some good pitchers to work with, too. And we talked to Pat McMahon a few weeks ago. That's almost like another kind of lost time frame about just how good Pat was in his four years. 98, you go to the College World Series. A lot of those guys were coming back. You know, Pat McMahon was an assistant coach on that 97 team. And then in 1999, you go to a regional, beaten at Ohio State. Then in 2000, 2001, you had back-to-back super regional appearances. And so Jim Case, a very good recruiter, had some good pitchers to work with over that four-year span. Another forgotten time, like you talk about. We think a lot about that 98 World Series, but I think a lot of people forget how good we were and how competitive we were in that 99, 2000, 2001 time frame. You've got super regionals. You have an SEC tournament win. And, again, it's one of those things how just one or two games – can change the way we think of an entire season. You go back to 84, if Weedai doesn't hit that home run, all of a sudden we're talking about 84 the same way we talk about 85. Same thing in that late 90s, early 2000s period. So we got a good show for you today. Up first, Carlton Lower. We'll go out west. We'll talk to Carlton Lower and talk about his hunting and fishing and throwing that hard fastball. You know, he's a big, tall guy. What, 6'5", 6'6", big guy from Lafayette, Louisiana and his three years at Mississippi State. And then later in the show, we'll talk to the head coach at Jacksonville State, Jim Case. All of that coming up on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. 
time now for a look back at Bulldog history, and it's brought to you each week by our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Well, Charlie, this past week, I had a big crawfish bowl. Seemed like I've done more of those this year than in the past. One of the first things somebody asked me about, what kind of sausage did you just put in this crawfish bowl? And, of course, I said country pleasing. It's fantastic in that crawfish bowl. It's great as a side for steaks or just by itself on a platter. Grab some andouille for their red beans and rice or some jambalaya. People rave about that green onion. And, of course, my go-to is the original or the jalapeno cheddar. Country pleasing sausage. Made in Florence, Mississippi at Country Meat Packers on Highway 49. We'll stop by and tell Henry and DeGain to give you the Barton Charlie discount. We go out west to Jackson, Wyoming, and talk to the former first-round pick in 1994, Carlton Lower, spent 1992 to 1994 at Mississippi State. And, Carlton, uh, appreciate you joining us. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Growing up in Lafayette, Eunice, Louisiana, down in that area, your brother going to LSU, playing in the late 1980s at LSU, one of those first recruits for Skip Burtman down there. And then all of a sudden, you end up at Mississippi State. How did you end up a Bulldog? And how was your experience <laughs> early on uh, pitching for Coach Steve Smith? It was uh, – I, I had a great experience. I loved my time there in, in Starkville. I ended up uh, – when my brother was playing at LSU, we uh, we took a trip to Starkville, and I was – I want to say I was 11 or 12 years old at the time. And I, I just kind of fell in love with the atmosphere there early on. So it was, uh, it was pretty, and it was pretty easy to fall in love with that place. And then once, uh, once my time came around and the visit and seeing the stadium and the facilities, then, uh, it was, it was a pretty easy decision for me. Carlton, you came in in 1992. You've got some other really big arms coming in with you. Kyle Kennedy, Gary Roth, of course you had, B.J. Wallace, Jay Powell around. What was it like being on a roster with that many really competitive arms? Oh, it was it was great. All of those guys, uh, you know, they were so competitive. And um, I think we all fed off of each other. I was still kind of being a green freshman, kind of learning from those guys. It was definitely an eye-opening experience how the caliber of baseball changes once you, you know, you leave your senior year of high school and you go and start playing in the SEC every day can definitely be a wake-up call and but it was fun it was you know coach polk was great and in, in aiding the adjustment coach smith you know working through everything so we uh i look back on it and i wish we you know wish we could have had those teams that went to omaha every year because that's our goal and unfortunately we didn't we didn't make it but i think we uh, i think we had a great group of guys that that really competed but you talk about 1992 you Play in a regional here in Starkville. Uh, you lose to UCLA in the in the uh, final of that uh, '92 regional, and he had to come in and, and pitch as a true freshman and playing for Coach Ron Polk. What was it like coming in and playing for Coach Polk? And you know, so many guys have talked about the laid back style of Coach Polk. Coach Steve Smith was probably more of a, a fire breather on that staff. What was it like as an 18-year-old guy coming in and having to be thrown to the wolves early on and play for those two guys? I mean, it, you know, I felt like I had a, a little bit of a leg up just growing up in the SEC and following my brother around for four years at LSU. So I, I kind of had an idea, um, but it, it definitely changes once you, you know, once you cross that foul line and you're, 
you're in between, you're up on the mound and, and all eyes are on you. So I think Coach Folk, uh, great leader, great, great man, just not only trying to trying to teach you the game of baseball, but to, to help you grow up and, and be a man. And Coach Smith as well. I mean, he was, you know, he definitely was a little bit, you know, a little bit more aggressive than Coach Polk. And, you know, I enjoyed my time with, with Coach Smith. I learned a lot and, you know, helped me, helped advance my, you know, myself to where, uh, you know, to compete at the pro level as well. So uh, it was, the, the experience there was, you know, I, I can't, I can't imagine going somewhere else and getting a better experience. You know, Carlton, one of the things we see about guys coming out of high school, the ability just to kind of rear back and throw it past some people, and as they go through college, work their way to the pros, they got to learn to pitch. They got to learn to use that changeup. And one of the things I remember about you was being able and confident to throw different types of pitches in different situations. I'm curious how you feel like you developed as a pitcher kind of through your time at Mississippi State and into the pros. What what did you pick up in terms of other pitches or command that, that helped you advance to, to be a first-round pick? Well, I think it is uh, it is definitely about learning how to pitch. I think, you know, and I don't know. I, I laugh these days watching when you watch a baseball game and you see everybody throwing 95 to 102 miles an hour. And uh, I don't know if it's, it's the advancement in workout regimen or the advancement in radar guns, but I just find it interesting that now it seems like everybody, you know, throws a hundred miles an hour and, and, and really pitching's not about that. It's about changing speeds and, and getting outs. And, you know, the one thing I do remember is my junior year, I do remember is just, is not really just kind of being that rare back and throw it guy and not really pitching and changing speeds. And, you know, that it, it made that year kind of, kind of a struggle for me. And, uh, one guy that was a tough fact to follow was Gary Roth that year, who was who was kind of the master left-hander at doing that, and uh, it seemed like he had an unbelievable year. And and to have to follow his act every weekend kind of made it tough and put it put some added pressure on me. Um, but no, it I think it was all in, you know, it was all in part of the plan that you know helped me get to the next level. So, well, speaking of going to the next level. Every young kid dreams of pitching in the major leagues, of having that major league debut. It'd be tough to one-up the major league debut you had, uh, going out, getting the complete game win against a team like the Cubs. What was it like going out there on the mound for the first time? Oh, man. I, uh, it was you know a lifelong dream come true for me. I still remember getting called into the office. We were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, – it was it was kind of funny that they they actually called me up and I still and I had about three days on the bench to kind of acclimate, uh, but that you know getting called into that office and being told you're you're starting in in Philadelphia in five days was you know something that I'll never forget. And as far as the as far as my debut, I mean I I was so nervous I couldn't even I couldn't even see straight it felt like and. Uh, but but the one thing I do remember is that that was probably one of the best runs pitching wise for me coming up from Scranton and then and then going to Philadelphia. I was on I was on one of those runs that you just don't really I don't know you don't get you don't see all that often. I just uh, was able to change speeds and and not really think about the Cubs and just just get those guys out. So it was a 
unbelievable experience. It was great having my mom and dad in the stands to watch that and everybody back home watching it. You know, it's one of those things that I, I hold close. Talking with uh, Carlton Lower, played at Mississippi State 1992 to 1994, first round draft pick by those Philadelphia Phillies in 1994. And Carlton, now out west, living in Jackson, Wyoming, a uh, an outfitter. And I'll tell you what, Charlie, if there's anything I would love to do is to be able to retire from my job and move to Jackson, Wyoming, and get on a horse and go hunt elk all day long. I, I tell you, how did you get into being an outfitter in Jackson, Wyoming? So I, uh, when I was playing in San Diego, I met my wife down there, and her father was an outfitter up here. And I, I grew up hunting in South Louisiana. And 2000, 2001, I came mule deer hunting. We were dating, and I came mule deer hunting up here. And as soon as I saw the mountains and, and how the hunting goes on up here, I fell in love with it and uh it is true. I mean I you know, this it's a great it's a great thing to do up here. It's it's not really that's kind of my the outfitting is my moonlighting gig. I sell real I'm a real estate broker with Sotheby's here in Jackson. Uh both my wife and I are and that's that's our that's what pays for my hunting addiction is is what I like to say. <laughs> it pays for my outfitting is is trying to sell houses. So uh no, it's it's great part. We uh there's nothing like the fall and having elk bugle around you and chasing them around the mountains, man. It's something that I think everybody that hunts should experience at least one time. So are you doing mainly elk? Do you do a bear and other things like that? We do. Uh, we run some spring bear hunts, uh, which the season's open now through the middle of June. And then uh, usually September is, is archery, uh, archery elk mid-September the mule deer season opens as well as the antelope season so uh we chase pretty much anything and everything up here so how would people get in touch with you because let me tell you this I couldn't think of anything I'd like to do more than get on a horse and ride into the back country and shoot an elk and talk bulldog baseball oh heck we can uh well I mean they can they can go to uh, go to the website uh my website which is blackpowderranch.net or they can just uh, look me up on the Sotheby's website, uh, get my cell phone and my email there. You know, our C4 Outfitters on Facebook is also a way to, to reach us. So a uh, small outfit, it, you're going to be more than likely be hunting with me. You know, I don't, I don't take, I take a handful of hunters every year. Nothing, uh, you know, nothing too extravagant. Uh, there's much bigger guys here in the state that that do that, but I'm I'm more personal, hands-on, and and uh, want to make sure we put on a good experience for you. Well, I just want to stay away from grizzly bears. So as long as we can work that out, <laughs> well, there, there's no guarantee on that, but we uh, we definitely carry our bear spray and we carry the protection means to uh try and stay away from them so <laughs> hey Carlton, we really appreciate it man it's, it's great to talk with you and, and come back we love we love to talk to you and, and, and yeah anytime guys anytime i love to love doing this type of stuff and uh definitely want to get back to uh starkville for a weekend and uh we were there i came back for the reunion this past fall and man what an unbelievable experience uh the facility now is is really jaw dropping. I I asked Coach Lamonis. I said, uh, "How do you?" I said, how, "If you're a kid, if you're a senior in high school, and you come on a visit here, how do you not pick this?" And he goes, "Well, that's the problem. Is 
there's there's lots of them that want to come, and it's making sure you pick the right one. So um, <laughs> I'm guessing they didn't have pitching labs quite like that back in your time. <laughs> well, I you know it's it was uh it was a great experience there, and I, I sure do cherish that time. And it's you know it's always fun to it's always fun to talk bulldog baseball. Carlton, we appreciate you. No problem. Thanks a bunch, guys. And that's former first rounder Carlton Lower. On our look back at Bulldog history, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And when we come back, we'll talk to former assistant coach and pitching coach Jim Case. He'll share his memories of his time at Mississippi State. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field. Presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment brought to you each week by the fine folks over at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the best farm-raised catfish in America. You can buy it direct or go to some of the best places in the South for their catfish. This week, we like to feature Mr. Bills over Northport, Alabama. You know, there's so many great ways to enjoy catfish, and Heartland cuts it in a variety of ways. I think my favorite may be the catfish strips, and that's what they're known for at Mr. Bill. Stop by on McFarland Boulevard. That's Highway 82 for the people passing through. Order it to go and grab some of the best catfish you'll ever eat at one of the best places in the South to get good home-cooked food. That's Mr. Bill's in Northport on McFarland, serving the best farm-raised catfish around from our good friends at Heartland Catfish. Well, let's go to the Heartland Hotline where – Former assistant coach, pitching coach Jim Case joins us now, the head baseball coach. has been the head baseball coach at Jacksonville State for a long time now, since 2002. And, Coach, uh, I tell you what, when, when we think about Jim Case, two stints at Mississippi State, 83 to 86, you came here in your second year as a coach, and then you came back, of course, in 1998 with Pat McMahon and spent four years here as the pitching coach. But, yeah, first and foremost, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us. I know you, you've probably got some yard work you need to be doing. It's not a whole lot of going on right now in the coaching profession. No, there's not. I, I'm so thankful you guys called. I'm looking forward to it. I think about those years a lot at Mississippi State, and, and the biggest thing that comes to mind in, in my head is I might be the luckiest guy alive to have been able to work for Coach Polk and then Coach McMahon and uh, to experience the things I experienced there. Uh, I don't know if it would be called luck or being blessed, but it, it was some great years for us. You know, the first year you came, 1983-1986, we had some guys that were freshmen in 83. We start talking about – Palmero and Clark, and then all of a sudden you talk about Jeff Brantley and Gene Morgan and that roster full of guys. What was it like as a young coach coming to Mississippi State that first time and then walking out on that field and saying, oh, my goodness, we got some players? Well, you know what? If I could go back, I think I would enjoy it more. I, You know, I, it was, I was just getting going, and so I kind of felt like, oh, it'll be like this every year. We'll just have guys rolling through like this for the rest of my career, and and you didn't really realize how special it was. I mean, of course we did. And, of course, uh, they were great players and, and so many. You know, I think about Dan Van Cleve and, and what he meant and what a spark plug he was and setting a tone as a 
hard worker and just there were so many guys that played a role. But uh, it, it was a great time for a lot of us young guys. Uh, I know Brian Shoup and, and, you know, was there at that time. Tim Sumner was there at that time. And it was just it was an awesome time for us. We we were able to learn under what I consider to be two of the best baseball minds uh, in the country at at the at the premier place to be. And and uh, it was just a it was a great time for us. Bart and I talk all the time about that 83, 84, 85 stretch where you had the Palmero and Clark years and obviously a number of others. And there was the regional at Austin in 83. There was the heartbreak lost to UNO in 84, going to the World Series in 85. But one of the things I think, too, about are the players who came through here, the opposing players, the Larkins, the Magadans. When you think back about those other guys who came through here, the guys wearing the opposing jersey, what are your big memories from that time period? Well, you know, I, I certainly remember uh, Larkin, and I certainly remember, I want to say his name was Augie Smith at um, at New Orleans at that time. There was a shortstop and maybe either the player of the year or, or close to being player of the year, you know, at that time. And there was just, uh, there was a lot of good players, and, and, the, and the SEC was, was really seemingly taking off you know, during that time. And just the interest level had gone up kind of overall. And I, I attribute a lot of that to, to Coach Polk. But, you know, it, it was one of those things where you were watching baseball really kind of come into its own. And um, small, small part, you know, for a guy like me, just to, just like I said, just fortunate to be there. But at the same time, uh, what a learning experience it was. You mentioned being here at that time. Of course, you came in as a graduate assistant. The NCAA doesn't afford those opportunities anymore. And it just seems to me that a lot of young coaches are being unnecessarily deprived of a really big chance to advance their careers in that graduate assistant role. Yeah, I I agree with you. I look back and I don't, I, I have no idea what I would have done or where I would have ended up without that program. And, you know, I was fortunate, uh, Buck Showalter was supposed to come back after that 83 season. He was supposed to come back in a graduate assistant role, but had decided to stay in professional baseball, which opened up a place for me. Again, you know, just uh, blessed is all I know to say. You know, I came up here with Louisiana Tech uh, to play in Starkville, and, and Coach Pope just noticed that you know, I, I had a great time with it and was working hard at it and, and offered me the opportunity to come and be a part in 1984. So, you know, guys don't have that opportunity anymore. And, you know, there's a big fight going on right now trying to uh, add an assistant, which it seems to be a, a very, very logical thing uh, to do. But, you know, it still doesn't take the place of those graduate assistants where, you know, we have four of us. And, and our roles were small, and uh, but at the same time, we were learning from, like I said, one of the, one of the best, and, and, uh, and I think it, it set us up for our careers. Talking with uh, Coach Jim Case, the head coach at Jacksonville State, spent uh, 83 through 86 at Mississippi State, 1998 to 2001 as well as a pitching coach for Coach Pat McMahon. And Coach – we talked with Lane Burroughs. You speak of Louisiana Tech. We talked to uh, to Lane a couple of weeks ago, the head coach at Louisiana Tech. And you being at Louisiana Tech, 
as a player and then as your first year as a head coach. Lane shared the story with me off the air, and we were talking about the recruiting. And he says, let me tell you something. Jim Case taught me a lot about recruiting with the way he handled and the way he recruited Paul Mahalam. He said, I never really understood just how hard, if you've got a player that you feel like you have to have, Jim Case kind of gave me the roadmap. What do you remember about that recruitment of Paul Mahalam? Oh, this is probably longer than what you want to hear. That was one of the great thrills and one of the toughest uh, summers that I've ever had. First of all, let me say this. Uh, Paul Mahalam is is such a quality person and his family, you know, his mom and his dad and his brother. We, I, I got close to all of them. And, uh, and I knew that there was an opportunity for him to go big time, you know, in, in professional baseball and that he was really considering it. And so that summer, I, like I said, you, you wouldn't even want to know the things I did of driving back and forth and just wanting to be there. And, and in a lot of ways, if you want to know the truth, I was kind of the laughing stock because everyone just assumed that he was going to sign because of the money that he was being offered. And so, I mean, people thought that I was crazy for spending the time just letting go. And, um, but, you know, I had, uh, I tell my wife all the time, I said, if he comes here, Friday nights are taken care of for three years. I mean, we don't have to worry about Friday night. And if you don't have to worry about Friday night in that league, that's a, that's a big load off of your shoulders. Getting down to it, and Tommy Raffo could tell you it was there was some crazy things. Us, he came to school, but he wasn't going to class. We were following him around because once he went to that first class, you know that was going to be it, and he would be ours. and And so we we had people following him and trying to watch. and And when he when he made the decision to be a bulldog and decided fully that he was going to do it, it was one of the greatest days that we had in the office. And I mean. Tommy and I were basically like we have won the World Series, and um, it was it was a great recruiting thing, and uh, certainly the best that I've been a part of because most people thought it was a waste of time. You make your way back here in 1998. Mississippi State goes to the College World Series. One of the stories that I always remember is. I wasn't able to go to that regional out at Texas A&M, but sitting there listening to the job that Chris Reinecke did to pitch Mississippi State through that final game where it just kind of like he took the ball and just decided, I'm not giving up this spot on the mound that we've won this game. I'm curious what your memories are of that regional out at Texas A&M. Well, I re- first of all, I remember it being unbelievably hot. I mean, it, it was unbelievably hot, which played into our favor because the University of Washington was in that regional, had a very good team, but just couldn't hardly deal with the heat. I mean, it was almost more than, than they could stand. But I remember uh, when we did make it to the finals and what a great atmosphere, you know, Rice was in that, that regional as well. And and uh, but when we finally made it to the finals, and and Chris uh, went out for the for the first inning, when he came in, uh, you you pretty much knew if we can score some runs, this game is over because they were not going to hit him, not that night. And it was it was one of those times where you almost felt like you know if we don't if we don't mess this thing up we're going to the College World Series because we'll jump on his back and ride it. And sure enough, he he did a great, great job. 
talking with Coach Jim Case. And, Coach, in 1999, you come back the following year, you lose some big-name guys off that 98 team. Then all of a sudden you look at your rotation, and uh, a guy like Hank Toms, who started his career at East Central Community College, college with you in mind, as a catcher, and then he was a, a bullpen catcher, and then all of a sudden he has a span in there in the middle of the season where he has two back-to-back complete games at a 2.66 earned run average. But then you start thinking about guys like a Brian Compton, a Tanner Brock, a Mark Freed, a Kevin Donovan. Those pitching staffs, you, you mentioned just a moment ago about Washington and playing in the, in the 1998 regional at College Station, the one thing you have to have is pitching depth. And along those times, 98, 99, 2000, you've had some pitching depth. Well, you know, this is an interesting thing to look at. If if the person that's in charge of recruiting works with pitchers, you're probably going to have pitching depth. If the person you have in charge of recruiting <laughs> is a hitting guy, you're probably going to have hitters. And there was one thing about it when I was there. If if at all possible, we were going to have some arms. We were going to run some arms at you, and it wasn't going to be just three guys in a closer. We were going to have some guys that, that we felt like could go out and get it done. And those guys that you're mentioning right there, a lot of those guys were not what you would call big-time recruits. They weren't uh, they weren't guys who were drafted in the second, third round. You know, Brian Compton was a walk-on and came and just did some incredible things. You know, threw the same breaking ball, but he threw it two different speeds, and they couldn't hit it. I mean, it was unbelievable what he was able to accomplish. And the beauty of it to me, in some ways, is what Brian Compton really wanted in, out of his athletic life was to be the best he could be at Mississippi State. He wasn't worried about pro ball. He wasn't worried about anything. All he wanted to do was to win for Mississippi State. And we had a lot of those guys. And Kevin Donovan, what a bulldog. I mean, you know, you give him the ball and put him on the mound, and he's not looking into the dugout. He's not looking for help. He, he's out there competing every minute of it. Mark Freed, the same way. We, we had some awful good – I mean, I go back and I think of guys like Tanner Brock and what he was able to accomplish. Um, there was some awful, awful competitive guys. Talking with the coach Jim Case, and we'll talk further with the head coach at Jacksonville State. Spent a couple times and a couple stints at Mississippi State as an assistant coach, 1983 to 1986, and once again and from 1998 to 2001. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And this segment is brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Well, Farm Bureau, in this time of crisis, helping all our friends in need, especially down in South Mississippi with everything going on down in South Mississippi. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Coach, i got to follow up before the break. You mentioned Kevin Donovan, and I cannot get away from talking about Kevin Donovan with Bart Gregory around without that regional in 2000 against Notre Dame coming up. Kevin Donovan got the win in the first game against South Alabama, and then just a couple of days later, we're playing Notre Dame, and we got to win it. And it was almost, as Bart will say, like we decided we're about to win it or lose it right now. We're giving the ball to Kevin Donovan. What do you remember about that regional performance? I think what I remember the most is, you know, and and I can't speak for Coach McMahon, but I think that 
our team, when Kevin had the ball in his hand, our team was so confident that we were going to win. Somehow, some way, we were going to find a way to win. And so when we got to a point to be able to put the ball in his hand, uh, Coach Mack did that. And uh, and I think, you know, what a game. It, and, you know, sometimes we forget about the game before that where we were just stuffed. I mean, I can't remember the kid's name from Notre Dame, but he pitched one of the best games that was pitched against us the whole time I was there. And I can remember telling their third baseman in about the seventh inning, hey, go tell him to let us get a couple of guys on. We got a big crowd here. Uh, we're not, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to win, but he could let us have a runner or two. And uh, so we really got stuffed. And then we, a lot of character in that group. There was a lot of character. And we came back and just a, just a great game. You know, it was ebb and flow. And it looked great. And there was a pop-up that fell. And, and then we came back and, and uh, of course, the big home run, you know, to win it. But uh, Kevin Donovan, I, I think that the team, and there's always usually one or hopefully maybe two of those guys that when you put the ball in his hand, everybody feels like we're going to win this game. And I think that was Coach Max thinking. Talking with Jim Case and Coach, you, you look back at that time frame and we start talking about the Paul Mahalams and the different pitchers on the staff. But then all of a sudden you start talking about uh, Steve Gendron and Matthew Maniscalco. You know, Charlie and I in our first show, what we did is we had a draft. Is Charlie had a team and I had a team, and we had a, just a two-team draft of the great players in Mississippi State history from 1979 to right now. And the caveat was you could not have played a day in the major leagues. And so you talk about Kevin Donovan. He was on our team. I think I picked Kevin Donovan. We also had Matthew Maniscalco and Steve Gendron, two guys that came into the program when you were an assistant coach. And those were two guys who just morphed over time into one of the best left sides of the infield we've ever had. It really was. There's a there's a couple of things that are really interesting about this to me. And first of all, I want to say this. I had so little to do with this. Tommy Raffo, what a star he is. But Tommy Raffo is really responsible for the recruitment of both of those guys. And I say I say this because, every again, everybody said there's no reason to recruit Matthew Maniscalco. He's going to Alabama. That's, that's just the way it is. You know, he's from Oxford, right, right down the road from where I am now. And, and he's going to go to the University of Alabama. Don't waste your time. And we, we recruited him. And I recruited him. He was, he was my guy. And I, I remember going into his home and him even being sick. And I met with his parents and all, but he was actually in the bed sick that, that day and uh, was not able to meet. And things just were not going great in the recruiting process. And then he came in on his visit. And when he did, him and Tommy Raffo hit it off, and we made a switch right then that Tommy would take over the recruiting of Matthew and that I would take a back seat to it, and Tommy's the one that got it done. And he did the same thing with, with Gender, and he, he is the main one that got it done. But I think a, a great thing, uh, and I don't know that he would really want me to say this, but I remember in the recruiting, and, and obviously we had Travis Chapman, who was a, a very nice player for us, who was a shortstop. And I can remember one time I said to Matthew, I said, well, you know, we think Travis will be back for his senior year, your first year. How does how does that make you feel? And he said, well, I feel like he's going to have to find somewhere else to play because I'm going to play shortstop. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't bragging. It wasn't putting Travis down. 
And it's exactly what happened. And Travis moved over to third base, and there, there wasn't a better defensive third baseman in the country, you know, at that point than him. And so it really kind of solidified an infield and, and made it really good right there. And, of course, that was the year before Gendron. Yeah, both of those guys were great players, and I wish that I could take some credit for it, but I can't. Uh, that was Coach Raffo, and as with most of the good recruits that we were able to bring in, he probably had more to do with it than, than I did. One of the all-time guys that people remember playing baseball as a pitcher at Mississippi State, Jonathan Papelbon, obviously known for the success he had in the major leagues and known for being that reliever out of the bullpen. What was it like dealing with the what was at least perceived to be kind of a fiery personality of a guy like Papelbon <laughs> on the mound? Well, you know, you kind of uh, every now and then you had to look the other way with Pat, and, and uh, he's a great guy, and and has been so good to me even through the years, and and uh, has afforded me some great opportunities. And but he he was a guy that was just coming on, and you know we recruited him as a pitcher first baseman, and if we were truthful, we didn't know which way it would end up going. Uh, I can remember some of those discussions. It wasn't like, you know, we recruited him and he's this big-time pitcher that's coming in and he'll take over and he'll end up pitching in the big leagues for years and, you know, be one of the best in the big leagues. There was no way of knowing that at the time. And so we recruited him. He was a little bit chunky. uh, And when that body started to fill out, oh, boy, did it change. And uh, and he, he became electric on the mound. And uh, I'm very, very proud of him. He He's a different type of guy. But, you know, I think it takes a different type of guy to pitch for the Red Sox and to be in Yankee Stadium and for them to hand you the ball for the last three outs of the game. There's got to be a little something different about you. And he had that. He had that confidence that uh, you put the ball in my hand and the game is over. And and that, that was from Mississippi State all the way until until he retired from the major leagues. Talking with the coach, Jim Case, head coach at Jacksonville State. He's been the head coach at Jacksonville State since 2002, three-time Ohio Valley Conference Coach of the Year, been to the NCAA Tournament five times, went last year in 2019, went deep into that regional in 2019. And coach, longtime head coach now, now all of a sudden everything has changed in the current state of college baseball. Roster management is about to become a very big term. In the OVC, what are you seeing right now of those conversations beginning to take place of of trying to figure out your roster over the next several years? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I, I want to say this. I'm, I'm very appreciative. Sometimes, you know, uh, there's criticism of the NCAA, but – I, I really felt like that they made a decision that if, if there was going to be a problem, we're, we're going to err on the side of being good to the players in this situation. Uh, we all kind of felt like that those seniors from last year might get a year back, but they, they ended up giving everybody the year back, which is going to it's going to uh, change things, as you're talking about. It's going to make things different. Um, I work at a school that I'm very thankful that those seniors are wel- welcome back and we're going to take care of them. Uh, there's a lot of places that are our size that can't do that. Uh, so there's there's a lot of guys that are floating around out there right now that uh, their school is is not going to be able to honor their scholarship and 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 reasonably so. You know, it can, it's it's a pretty expensive deal, 
just at Jacksonville State, our athletic director said, for sure, we're going to do that. So I'm thankful for it. But you're right. It's going to change things. It's going to change things. And, you know, there, there's pro- this is not the end of the change. There's probably uh, very soon going to be the, the one-time transfer where you don't have to sit out. I think that's definitely coming, even though it's not right now. But um, I think that's right around the bend. So there's going to be some changes, and hopefully uh, it'll be good for the sport as the whole. In terms of looking at that roster size, one of the things that's been discussed is this idea that you can carry larger rosters for this coming year. I'm curious, though, from a coaching standpoint, how practical is that in terms of keeping a high morale on a team? If you've got a lot of guys who aren't playing, I'm wondering what detrimental effect does that have from carrying a larger roster? Without getting too in-depth with it, I think the thing that uh, is the most concerning for me is the freshmen that are coming in. And, you know, they were a lot of these guys that we signed. For instance, we, we felt like we would for sure lose our catcher. He was a senior, nice player, very good player, left-handed hitter, hits in the middle of our order, but he was going to be gone. And so we signed a guy that we feel like has got a chance to be really good behind the plate. But if our catcher is back for his fifth year, the new guy's probably not going to play a lot. So I think that I think that that's where you run into it. And, and certainly we'll, we'll make it work and we'll figure it out. But in some ways, I do feel for those freshmen. You know, they, they, had, they made their decisions based on who they felt like was going to be gone. And now those guys are back. And for the most part, the guys that, that we will have back, not all of our seniors are coming back, but the ones that are coming back are, are, are pretty significant players. And so they're, they're probably going to play. And so I think that that hurts those freshmen a little bit. And I think that probably what you're going to see is I think probably junior college baseball is going to benefit from some of that. I think some of those guys will decide at least for a year to go to a junior college to where they might have a better opportunity to play right away. I might be wrong in that, but that's what I see happening. Coach, hey, we appreciate it. We could go on forever, but uh, it's always great to talk with you. Oh, I enjoyed it. Any Anytime I have a a chance to catch up and uh you know i've been back to starkville not a whole bunch of times but i was back not too long ago when uh coach mcmahon had uh bo mckinnis had, had uh, honored him with having the pitching area named after him and i went back for that and uh i enjoy every time i get a chance to talk about mississippi state and mississippi state baseball so thank you guys well before we let you go I do have to make note when pat mcmahon was on he made special mention of the fact several times about the stadium at Jacksonville State being named for you. So, obvious, uh, a, a great that. tribute to what you have done there at Jacksonville State. Man, I appreciate that. Pat means so much to me, and, and as does Coach Polk and, uh, and, uh, and so many guys through the years. But we, we're blessed. We, 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 do, we have a great stadium. It really, really is. And, and just to show you uh, the Mississippi State connection, you know they were so they were so gracious in coming over in the fall and and playing uh, us in the first game that was played there. And uh, Chris, I, I couldn't thank him enough for for doing that for us, and it just meant the world. And it was a special day and a day that he he didn't have to to grant that for us, but he did. And I think it was based on 
the years that I spent there. And so I'm, I'm very, very thankful for what they did for us opening up the stadium. And it's, it's a great place. It's a great place to play. Not as, not as many seats as a lot of places have, but if you're a college baseball player, you'd be hard pressed to find a better facility to play in every day. Coach, great to talk with you. You too. You too. You guys have a great day. Well, so that will do it for another week of Out of Left Field presented by our good friends at Farm Bureau. Once again, go to favorites.com and go with the home team. Do your insurance with the, the guys that you go to church with, the guys you drop your kids off of school, the guys you see all over town. And that's the home team. It's Farm Bureau. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.